um, one of the common misconceptions is that if I am at a certain level of my practice in revenue, if I could just get to the next level, things are going to be good. I'm going to start to make money. If I'm at a $700,000 practice, if I could just get to a million, then things are going to be good. Or if I'm at a million, if I could just get to two million. And actually, the opposite is true. What happens is as we grow our businesses and our as our revenue goes up, our expenses trail right along with it. In other words, our cost of goods go up equally. Um, we have to hire more people. We might need to invest in a bigger facility. And so what happens is as the income goes up and our expenses go along with it, if we have a downturn in our income, in our revenue, such as you mentioned the 2008 and 2009 crisis, our expenses don't just miraculously stop. They keep going until we figure out what to do. And in the meantime, as our income goes down and our expenses continue to on their, with their momentum, we get into a cash flow pinch. And when we get into that cash flow pinch, we panic. We start you know, trying to do everything we can to sell, sell, sell. And eventually we start cutting, cutting, cutting. And then we go through a recovery period. Our income goes back up. Our expenses go down. But then suddenly as our income goes up, our expenses trail again. And it's this cycle of this cash flow pinch of up and down that really puts stress on a business. And that gets worse the bigger you get as, a, as an organization. Welcome to the Wolf Admin Podcast. Today I had an amazing conversation with Dr. Mick Kling. Mick is a business financing consulting company called Impact OD. And we discussed his roots with Leadership OD and business finance, profit first, and fiscally sound ideas for cash flow and business management. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, if you want to get the most current episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. So I think, um, you know, one of the things I think is really interesting, Mick, is I, I wasn't aware, you know, um, I when I was a student, um, Mike Rothschild, I remember he came and talked to us about Vision Source um, in Oklahoma. And, um, you know, I, I, I wound up getting to know Mike over the years quite a bit. And, and I wasn't really aware. Um, what, what was it that you guys were involved in? What was that company? Yeah. So uh, Mike had a consulting company called Leadership OD that he started uh, several years before I met him. And, and the way I met Mike was that um, my uh, w- the, the Vision Source National Meeting was in San Diego. And it was one of the first Vision Source meetings that I ever attended. And um, I had be, been pretty good friends with Amir Kashnevis. Okay. And I had met Amir through Kleinman. So, so we, Amir and I had been in the same climate group. Um, it was Amir and I and, and Dave Lupinski, Amir's uh, business partner. And so at that San Diego meeting, Amir uh, said, hey, listen, I, th- I think you would just love my buddy, Mike. Mm. Um, and so I got introduced to Mike. But before I met him, Mike actually presented the Ritz-Carlton talk that he uh, gives. And he presented that to the yeah. entire Vision Source group. And there's probably, you know, at least a couple thousand docs had attended that. And I was, I was just blown away by Mike's message and by his delivery and, uh, by really his passion for what he was, he was uh, presenting. And so I met Mike after that meeting 
And um, so not too long after that, Amir called me and said, uh, you know, we have, we're putting together this study group and it's myself and Mike and uh, Carl Spear, Ted McElroy, Pete Van Hoven. And I knew some of these guys and April Jasper was in the group at the time. And I knew some of these guys. I thought, man, this would be a really awesome group for me to be involved with. And so I joined that study group. And the very first meeting that we attended, Mike said, um, guys, I have this vision for my consulting company. It's called Leadership OD. And um, I would like some partners in it, and but I need some money. Mm. And I said, man, I don't know you, but I like you for some reason. And I'll be happy to write you a check. Not for so some reason. Him. He's a super likable guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I wrote him a check. Um, it wasn't a huge check, but it was, a, it was substantial. Yep. And, 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 and I wrote him a check, as did a couple other folks. And, and that seeded what sort of went on to become Leadership OD, which allowed us to start putting on these executive retreats. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we put our first executive retreat on in Atlanta in, uh, I think it was in 2013. And um, I, I had a, really a pretty minor role in that event, but Amir spoke and, and Mike smoke, spoke and Carl presented and April presented. And then we, we did it again in San Diego later that summer. And then we just kept doing these events. Um, at some point, Carl and April uh, and Carl's wife, Katie Spear, decided to go do some other uh, projects. And so mm-hmm. what happened is Mike and Amir and Ted and I sort of became the core of what's what then became Leadership OD. Okay. And then um, at some point, Mike was approached by Revolution, by Scott Jens, uh, to bring Leadership OD under the umbrella of Revolution. And so Revolution actually acquired Leadership OD. And so Amir and Ted and I just sort of got a check and kicked to the kicked to the curb, <laughs> and, and and Mike became a full time consultant for for Revolution. So that's kind of a long. No, I think that's interesting history, but I mean, that's that's really how it happened. I think um, I think that that's really interesting because um, you know sometimes we don't know the the background with how things work and things kind of go away and we don't really know what happens to them. But there's all kind of these interesting details within that, and so like within is that um, is that where you started having kind of bigger ideas about where you could help the profession in different ways, or did you so, have them before that? Yeah, so we we I've always I've always enjoyed money and I've always enjoyed um, talking about money and spreadsheets, and I always had a, I felt like a pretty good mind for sort of understanding the operations of a business, and so that was always sort of part of my DNA and who I was. Um, there was a point after uh, Mike and Amir and I and Ted started to do our own thing with Leadership OD that it became clear to us that there were really three things that kept surfacing for almost every OD. It was leadership, leadership effectiveness, it was culture, and it was money. And so what happened is that Mike just tackles that leadership topic so, so well. Amir is an unbelievable passionate guy when it comes to to your practice culture. Mm -hmm. And then just by default, this money thing sort of fell on me. And I thought, (laughs) this is really kind of perfect because this is what I like to to talk about. And so um, that's sort of each of us became 
um, sort of focused in those particular areas. And then when Leadership OD ended up getting sold to Revolution, I found myself sort of out on my own as, as a bit of a freelancer. And um, I, 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 I had to somewhat reinvent myself and come up with my own brand and my own consulting company where, um, you know, to some degree, I do tackle some of the leadership and culture stuff, but really, really what my focus is, is business finance and business acumen training. And so that's when I get asked to speak, that's almost always what I'm requested to talk about is the the business finance piece of it. And, and that's great for me because that's really the part that I enjoy, the part that I love, uh, the part that I really feel like I can be helpful to somebody um, and so I've, it's it's allowed me to really settle into a really nice, comfortable spot. You know, I find that you so so I do a lot of you know my my kind of um, area that I really have a passion for, and you've heard me probably heard me talk about this before, but it's the um, it's the area of helping docs understand the value of their services. And so I, I really love what you're doing with with the business financing stuff. And um, and one of the things that I think a lot of us have a challenge with, and I, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit, um, is, is, okay, well, I'm very profitable in my practice. Um, I, I figured out how to... We figured out how to take care of patients in a really... In a, in a way that's needed, in a way we think is better than what other people can offer. And I think through vision source and through our network that's allowed us to achieve more. And, um, and, and so then I have this other passion, which is helping other doctors do that. And, um, and yet I'm, I'm sort of pulled because I, I start looking at as, as successful as we've been in our practice. Um, how do you replicate your time value uh, to do some of these other things where it's worth your worth your while, and also you because you love doing them, right? You love doing them, um, and then you want to continue to do them, but it has to make some financial sense, especially when you're a dollars and cents guy. So, can you take me through some of that? I mean, you don't have to get into specifics, but the more specifics, the better. I mean, how did how did they make that work for Leadership OD, and how are you making it work now? Yeah, that's a great question, and and it's honestly something I've been spending a lot of a lot of time thinking about. In fact, um, I was in at Vision Expo last week and gave quite a bit of education while I was there, and really enjoyed it, and came back just super energized. And on the plane back, I started thinking about where does this next year look for me? Because I do need to figure out a way to deliver what I want to deliver because I'm, I'm so passionate about it. But yet it also has to make monetary sense because every time I take a trip to New York, uh, spend a, a week there, I'm, I'm pulled out of my practice, which is really where the source of the mo- majority of my income comes and from. And you have so a, ha- a very successful practice. Yeah, I do. I mean, Thank you yeah. for that. Thank you. And, and I appreciate that. And I do have three associates that do the bulk of the work. So I am allowed to get away and, and, and things do continue to run. But, but, but as the owner, I'm still the emotional leader. And when I'm away, things just often aren't quite the same. And so I, while I can afford to be away for brief periods, it, it does start to impact the business when I'm gone for too long. And, um, and so I thought, well, how can I, how can I monetize this so that I am able to step away a little bit longer, uh, not have any negative impacts on either the business or my personal income? And so I just started thinking about like, what is it that I'm actually trying to do? Well, I'm trying to disseminate information. I'm trying to take knowledge and experience, and I'm trying to transfer it out of my brain into somebody else's brain. 
Mm-hmm. That's the most fundamental thing that I'm trying to do. Well, we, we can't really read people's minds, so I can't transmit it that way. So I've, there's got to be a, a vehicle um, to do that. And that involves public speaking, you know, presenting, giving talks. Um, it involves right now for me a lot of one-on-one coaching. Mm-hmm. At any given time, I have four, five, six uh, docs that I'm actually in a one-on-one coaching relationship with. Some of them are just short-term, a couple of calls. Um, and I can tell you a little bit more about what I'm doing with Vision Source at some point if you want to hear that. Yep. But then I have some that I have a longer-term coaching relationships that have engaged me to be their financial coach as we guide them through a specific process. I really, really love that. The problem is it's very time-consuming. Mm-hmm. And the, the one-on-one uh, part, while while rewarding to me is doesn't make a lot of financial sense. I just, there's, there's, I can't charge <laughs> enough and get people to pay enough uh, to make that model make sense. So I said, okay, so I'm trying to disseminate information from my brain into somebody else's brain. What is the best way to do that? And the two things that I keep coming back to are one workshops. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing right now. I've started doing uh, workshops at my office. We have one scheduled on April the 12th. We're sold out on that one. Our next one is June the 14th, and we're about half sold out on that one. And so that's a way for me to bring eight or 10 docs into one location and me to really, at a much higher level, much deeper level, share with them all the things that I want to share with them, hopefully arming them with the knowledge that they need to now go back and, and utilize it in their practice. So instead of having a one-on-one conversation and repeating mm-hmm. myself 10 times, the idea is I can get this out one time to 10 different people at an, an intimate enough level, which allows them to feel like they've got what they need to go back and implement it, just like yeah. I do on my one-on-one coaching. And so that's what I'm doing now. So the workshops are a big one. The second one that I'm working on, which is a much bigger project, is online courses. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody's trying to do online courses, but um, when you want to disseminate information to a lot of people, that is probably one of the most efficient ways to do it. Um, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. And um, <laughs> if you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, he is a, a radio personality, just a, just a funny unique Southern guy from Tennessee who's um, all about personal finance and he's got a very unique approach. And so um, I've actually, I'm actually a certified Dave Ramsey coach. So I've gone through Dave's certification process and that was an online training course. It took many hours to get through and some tasks that were involved and some meeting with some of the Ramsey coaches. But that really solidified in my mind that you can really train somebody really well if you have oh, yeah. a very good online course. Yeah. Um, and so that's my second area of focus, Chris, is I just want to get, I want to get a, a very good, robust online program where I can say, listen, doc, if you don't have time or you can't afford a one-on-one with me, Let's get you through this course. At the end of it, I want you to feel confident that you can utilize some of the some of the um, uh, tools and the resources that I've presented. Yeah. So I think that's interesting because <clears throat> so I've been very successful with online uh, learning over the years. 
and actually recently over the last couple of years, um, that's where, again, that's where um, I've been quite successful in um, reaching a lot of people through those resources. Um, what I find, so so I'm actually kind of flipped that a little bit in, in my mind. I'm not disagreeing with you in this model. I'm just trying to explore it a little bit is that, you know, where where I see a lot of people coming in is um, through some of the vision source talks that I do. So it's sort of a very high level. I mean, I try to get as detailed as I possibly can, but in an hour or two, it's, it's kind of a challenge to, to really get to, to kind of get people comfortable with the function of, of kind of assessing their value of their services. And so what they typically walk away with in that sense is I try to give them all the tools there that they need if they wanted to dig deeper to know how to do it. But what I think they come away with most of the time is when they, they go to one of those courses is that they um, understand kind of that there's a lot of opportunity for them to do better. And then if they want to have kind of a deeper understanding to be able to go back through it and have somebody walk them through it and kind of um, handhold them through those steps and they want to do it at their own pace on their own schedule, then that's where the online course is, has been really helpful for them. But then there's this next level that actually for me is kind of tr- that trickled down into this next step of, all right, now I'm getting, I'm getting doctors that, um, that will ask me, uh, you know, for more involved, um, more involved consultations. And like mm-hmm. you, I'm very, it's a real challenge for me to say, okay, well, you know, I, I know if I could go in and, in your practice and watch you and spend, you know, and spend a week in your practice and kind of show you all the things, not just from a billing and coding standpoint, but even just a medical managed standpoint. Here, here's a patient. Like, I'll just watch you through a patient. Here's, you know, here's, here's this patient. These are what they were talking about. And these are the things that you were addressing. But look at all these other things you could have addressed at a follow-up visit because they, they were complaining of them or because you were making a note of it. And so in doing that, um, I, I just ha- can't wrap my mind around the, I'm really trying to kind of work through what's, you know, to do that. That's a lot of my time. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I haven't had an opportunity to really feel like I've wrapped my mind around how I, how I communicate that value. So I understand the value of what we do in, the, in our exam rooms every day, but I'm ha- having a really hard time when people ask me to do that to say, well, what, what am I going to have to charge you to do that? It's going to be quite yeah. a lot. So, but you've kind of flipped that around. You say, okay, I've got these, um, I've got these one-on-one. Now you're moving it to a little bit bigger group and now you're moving it to a larger group uh, with, with your online course. It's interesting. That, yeah, that's right. And it sounds like we sort of did approach this from, from, from the opposite ends. You came in with the online model. Mm-hmm. I came in on the one-on-one. And, and by the way, I, you know, the one-on-one just sort of happened by default. There certainly wasn't a strategy uh, it just one led to two, led to four, led to six, and so it, I, I think that's a that's a a natural evolution from the one on ones to like how do I take this to a little bit bigger group, which mm-hmm. would be a workshop, and then even a bigger group, which would be the whole internet um, opportunity as a whole. Yeah. You being probably a little bit more technologically savvy than me, probably realized you know some time ago. Hey, listen, I should just scale it big to begin with and provide that information to as many people as I can. And now what you're noticing is that even when they go through that, it's like, I still want more. Well, yeah, and- they want more. They want more um, personalization. They want more. Um, and handholding is not the right word, but they want more customization. You know, they like they they want you to actually sit there with them and and kind of help guide them more to, you know, even though the resources are are great, you know, all the reviews are wonderful. But they they want it's like 
Uh, so I, yeah, it's just interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I should probably uh, take some lessons from you about how to build an <laughs> online course then. No, happy to talk to you about it. Happy to talk to you about yeah. it. Um, well, so then let's talk about, you know, I, I guess that's, um, I mean, those are great things that, that I, I, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to kind of cover those things. I think the, the other stuff that maybe our listeners will really be more, um, more excited to hear about is, you know, what sort of things are you working on from, a, you know, we talked about kind of the general picture of the financial aspect, but, you know, specifically when you think about what does, you know, what is the business of optometry? We can talk about vision source as well within this piece, but what is the business of optometry? And we should, um, what are you finding when you talk to doctors? What kinds of processes are you thinking? Kind of give me a, an overview and then we'll get into the details of this, you know, of what you do and what you're seeing doctors make mistakes on and how they're changing their, their business models. Yeah. So when I present the business of optometry in particular, um, that program that I do with Lori Sorensen, mm-hmm. really there are two, there are two primary um, objectives that we have in this business of optometry uh, presentation. One is I handle all the business acumen side of it and Lori does all the culture so you have to have, um, you have in order for your business to be successful, you have to have a culture and you have to be profitable. Because if you don't have a culture, you're almost guaranteed that you're not going to have any profits. And if you don't have any profits, then you're guaranteed you're not going to have a business, so you don't need a culture. Mm-hmm. So th- those two pieces really have to be addressed. And so Lori manages the culture side which she does just a fabulous job with. And then I handle all the business side. And so my presentation of information really falls into two camps. Um, on the one hand, the first section is really business acumen training. And what I mean by that is I present uh, what are what are, I call the five essential fi- uh, fundamentals of, of running your business. And those are things like um, budgeting. Nobody budgets. It's extremely mm-hmm. important. And so I've created a very simple, useful budgeting tool. Uh, and I show how to use that. We get into financial statements, profit and loss statements and balance sheets, what those are, how to read them, why, why we need to understand them. We get into cash flow, differences between cash flow and profit. We uh, get into KPIs, uh, key performance indicators which are really the dashboard of our business. And those are the gauges that we need to be looking at to make sure that we're answering the question of how am I doing? And then the last piece of it is contingency planning and, you know, insurances and core capital reserves. How much should I keep, you know, in an emergency fund? Um, What about retirement? All that. So we tackle all five of those in sort of the big business acumen presentation. The second part of my presentation is probably, for me personally, the most exciting thing that I do uh, on all of this training. And it is, I present a very um, simple yet powerful and effective cash flow method, uh, cash flow methodology, if you will, about how to manage the cash flow in your business. And the the simplest and that's way that profit I can, first, and that's called profit first, and and profit first is a book written by a gentleman named Mike McCallowitz, and Mike is a is a 
business author. He's written uh, several books about business and entrepreneurship. And this one um, is probably the one that's gotten him the most traction. And it essentially presents a, a cash flow model so that you're, one, ensuring that your business is always going to be profitable. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's always ensuring that the, the owner of the business is always going to be compensated fairly. Number three, it's always going to make sure that we are setting aside tax reserves because we have to make sure we pay Uncle Sam. And then fourth, it um, because of the way we structure the system, it forces us to run a very, very lean operation. Hmm. And you set this up somewhat like grandma used to do with her envelopes. You know, we'd have an envelope for groceries and we have an envelope for clothing and we have an envelope for tithing for the church and we have an envelope for vacation. We're we're creating a plan and allocating every dollar that comes into our practice. We're assigning that to a certain function within our business mm-hmm. and being very deliberate about it. Because what happens is most of us, Chris, have one operating account in our business. All the money that we collect in our business goes into the income account. Mm-hmm. And then we pay all of our bills out of the same account. And that that business account expands when we have money in the account. It contracts when we don't have money. And what happens is we become reactionary to the account balance. And we do what's called bank balance accounting, which is we pull out our cell phone and we log into our bank and we say, how much money's in the account? Mm. And if there's money in the account, we think we're successful. And we make business decisions based on that bank balance. If there's no money in the account, we panic, we slam on the brakes, and we go into reaction mode, which is sell, sell, sell. And so we're allowing our our single bank balance to dictate how we're making decisions about how we run the business. And that's really not the way that we should be running our businesses. Instead, we need to have a plan and be very methodical about how the money flows through our business and not be reactionary. And so what Profit First does is it allows you to uh, allow human behavior to continue to be what it is, which is I'm going to be able to pull out my phone and see what's going on. But what we see when we look at our bank accounts tells us a much truer and more realistic story of what's going on with our business. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very high level overview of, of, sort of the theory and the concept behind the profit first concept. But what I do in the presentation is I really break it down and give you the nuts and bolts and say, okay, this is exactly how you do it. Here's how you set up your accounts. Here's how you move money between accounts. Here's why we do it this way. And here's what you can expect if you'll run your business this way. Here's what you can expect, for instance, after year one. And yeah, so for so, me, that's an exciting part. Yeah, I think that's... So I remember going through... through um through this at at least an abbreviated version of it uh, in Tampa at the, the administrator exchange. And um, it blew me away. And, um, you know, I, so I, I did just to give you some perspective on my history, you know, when I got out of school, I wanted to eliminate my debt as quickly as possible. And it, it is, so I, I went through Dave Ramsey and, um, and we really kind of paid everything down as quickly as we could. So within three years of being out of school, I was besides the house, pretty much debt free. And, so I was able to buy my practice, you know, and I, and I still buy it in cash over time, right? 
And so, um, so I'm, I'm kind of in your camp as far as that's concerned. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm purchasing that, the practice from my, from my parents over time, but I was able to do that without any bank loans because I, mm-hmm. I understood the, the value of, of cash and how, how you can put it to different places and really move the needle. And, um, and so then, but, but the challenge I always had was I've always thought about Dave Ramsey as, um, and so I know we're kind of talking about Dave Ramsey in the microcosm of profit first, but you know, the, the biggest problem I always had was I felt like Dave Ramsey worked really well for people who had a lot of debt with lower income ratios. So like just out of school, you know, just out of school, I got a lot of debt, maybe not as much income. And now for me, that's flipped where, um, where I have a significant amount of income and not much debt. So then your mindset shifts to, you know, okay, well now instead of, instead of I, I can buy this, you know, and I can pay for it, still pay for it in cash, or I can invest with this. Um, but I never felt like I I had good tools from Dave Ramsey as a, as a relatively debt-free professional with a relatively high income. Um, to know how do I parlay that information to to run my business better? I just didn't feel like he had that connection well. And so when you talked about it, uh, it, it sort of was like, okay, now here's something else I can do that um, I can apply those same principles that make me feel comfortable and also protect me from risk and also allow me a whole bunch of potential upside in the event that things go the other way, like things go down in general. It allows me the ability to to capitalize on that. When I say things go down in general, if we see a, you know, just to give you some perspective, I, I graduated school in 2008, right around the time, you know, so it was like four months before the market crashed. And so, you know, that sort of shaped me. Uh, my first three years of practice were, you know, we're going to do everything we can do to kind of figure out, you know, how to get patients in the door and all this kind of stuff. So, that has has lasted with me. I mean, it's amazing what that three year period. Now we've had, I've had, you know, seven years, seven and a half years of wild success after that. I mean, when I say wild success, I mean just relatively speaking, a lot of growth and and good, and you know, because we've worked hard. Um, and so, how do you do that with your business as well? And so, this is kind of the way to do that. Yeah, I, I so appreciate your comments about Dave Ramsey and some of the limitations of what he does. For sure, he's really on the personal finance side, and there's so many valuable, valuable lessons that you can take away from his um, philosophy and his concepts, but they're only transferable to a business to a certain degree. And if you listen to his program enough, you do kind of hear when he abuts against that sort of that business wall where he'll give you a little bit of opinion, but he's really on the, Mm -hmm. on the personal finance side. And um, one one of the things that I so appreciate about profit first is it does address where the Ramsey stuff sort of falls off and it's, it's, it's specific for and intended just for businesses. And um, the reason I, I so appreciate it is that I got really good at answering the two questions that I always get from docs that are struggling. And the two questions are always, where's all the money? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working my tail off on then I got a million dollar practice and there's never any money. So that's a, mm-hmm. that, that's the most common question I always get. But yeah. And you, the, you made the comment. Sorry, sorry, Mick, I want to stop you here yeah. because the other thing that, that you said was you can't grow your way out of. So make that point again, because I think you, you say it very well and it resonates with a lot of people. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the common misconceptions is that if I am at a certain level of my practice in revenue, if I could just get to the next level, things are going to be good. I'm going to start to make money. If I'm at a $700,000 practice, if I could just get to a million, then things are going to be good. Or if I'm mm-hmm. at a million, if I could just get to two million. And actually, the opposite is true. What happens is as we grow our businesses and our as our revenue goes up, our expenses trail right along with it. In other words, our cost of goods go up equally. Um, we have to hire more people. We might need to invest in a bigger facility. And so what happens is as the income goes up and our expenses go along with it, if we have a tur- downturn in our income, in our revenue, such as you mentioned the 2008 and 2009 crisis, our expenses don't just miraculously stop. They mm-hmm. keep going until we figure out what to do. And in the meantime, as our income goes down and our expenses continue to on their, with their momentum, we get into a cash flow pinch. Mm. And when we get into that cash flow pinch, we panic. We start oh, you know, trying to do everything we can to sell, sell, sell. And eventually we start cutting, cutting, cutting. And then we go through a recovery period. Our income goes back up. Our expenses go down. But then suddenly as our income goes up, our expenses trail again. And it's mm-hmm. this cycle of this cash flow pinch of up and down that really puts stress on a business. And that gets worse the bigger you get as, a, as an organization. And so the point of all this is that you cannot grow yourself out of a cash flow problem. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it, it just gets more complex and, and more difficult. And so what Profit First does is it bakes in profit guaranteed no matter how big your practice is. And the reason that's important is that when you take it from a million to two million, as long as you've built in the profit piece and you've gotten your organization running profitably, then you can mm-hmm. grow to that next level without experiencing all of those cash flow uh, pinches that typically occur with somebody who's just growing, growing, growing. Um, there's a there's a great book that I read one time, and it talked about growing out of business. Mm. I thought growing. Mm. No, no, is that a typo? Going out of business? No, growing out of business, and it's a it's a phenomenon where the capital expenditure required to grow exceeds the profitability of the company, and to the point where actually growth is driving you out of business. Oh wait, wait, okay, okay, so all right, sorry, I'm gonna need you, you lot. So you said it well. I'm just a little slow on the uptake. So can you say that one more time? Sure. So so there's a concept of of a business actually growing too rapidly mm-hmm. and because growth cause gr- growth requires capital. Growth mm-hmm. requires requires money and it requires investment. That could be investment in technology, investment in facility, investment in people. And so as the business grows, it requires more cash to fuel mm-hmm. its growth. And there can be scenarios where the amount of cash required to accelerate your growth actually um, causes your business to to be in a worse financial shape to the point right. where you could even right. jeopardize your business. Right, because because then you may not have the the profits to take home or to take to pay the other base stuff that you need to pay in order to continue to grow that business. Like you might yeah. need to if you're a, if you're manufacturing widgets. 
you may have orders that are astronomically high and you can't and you either need to invest in buying the widgets which you can't uh and then you, or you can't pay the other things that you are normally paying absolutely or you go out and you have to get a line of credit or right. you go borrow money and now what you're doing is you're simply adding debt to the business and debt the principal payments on debt is nothing more th- those have to be paid out of future profits so now you're 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 building the beast bigger and bigger and bigger and now it needs to be fed more and more and more to cover mm. its new liabilities and so you're just simply using what you hope are future profits to pay for you know the debt that's required to sort of keep the business afloat and you can only do that so long mm. and eventually you're going to hit the wall and it's the whole thing's going to crumble because the business can no longer sustain the debt um no matter how much you grow so that's so interesting just, because so sorry go ahead Nick I was just going to say so it's a, it's kind of a it's kind of a mind-boggling concept that uh really a lot of people I don't think understand because the mentality is revenue 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 if I can just get yes. my revenue up yes. that's how I'm defining success and that revenue number really is is nothing more than our ego it's the bragging number that we say oh right. I got a 2 million dollar practice I've got a million dollar practice it's really that that number serves really no other purpose except for to sit with your buddies over yeah. a beer and talk about how great you are at running your business. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't translate into the ability to say do the things that you want to do within the profession or within your family outside of the walls of your practice. You know, uh, like like you're able to do. Um so it's um I was going to uh, I was going to make another point but it it has just escaped me. Um, While you're thinking about that, I was yeah. gonna I was gonna finish uh, one thought that I had, and, and that yeah. is this, this concept. The second question that I get a lot is um, uh, doctors will call me and say, uh, you know, if the question isn't where's all the money, the question is, should I invest in this? Should I do this? Should I buy another practice? Should I get an associate? Mm-hmm. Um, and those take that takes very significant analysis of a business to understand what a business can afford to take it to the next level. And if I circle it back to the profit first model, when we've assigned every dollar a purpose, then it becomes very clear what the business can afford to invest in, in its growth. In other words, you put guardrails up to say, instead of just spending, 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 I now know this is what within these parameters, this is what my business can afford me to do on the growth side. And so you end up growing more slowly, but you're doing it at the same time you're mitigating risk as much as possible. Yeah, you're growing purposely. And and the other the other thing that you know kind of keeps coming back in my mind is this idea that, you know, you purchase something and maybe I could wait till next year, but there's cash flow that comes from purchasing it now and being able to utilize it now and billing for it now. Uh and then and then you kind of the I'm I'm just re kind of regurgitating the things that I've heard about people that want to buy stuff fast is rather than what you're talking about is put it in put it in a pot so to speak with a you know obviously we're not talking about an envelope or a literal pot but that, like a separate account that is just for that purpose and then you can know okay well in plan for that that uh that it's going to be there ready to go absolutely absolutely I, I am a big advocate for for minimizing debt as much as possible in fact the practices that i'm working with right now the the ones that are in the worst shape are are absolutely buried in debt and so mm. um when i go out and speak i 
present this idea of, hey, you know, it's possible actually to not borrow money for that next OCT you're going to buy. Mm-hmm. And I get met with, you know, some blank stares. And then there are, there's always a guy in the back that says, but but Mick, you don't understand finance. It's good debt because it's generating yes. revenue. Yes. And, and, and I, have a, I have a simple um, uh, flip chart presentation, how I walk them through the fact that I don't agree that that's good debt. And um, if you're looking just purely on the return on the investment, I can show you mathematically every time it's better to pay cash for equipment. At the same time, you're mitigating risk. That is not always possible. You know, if you're especially if you're a cold start and you're trying to just get the ball right. rolling, at some point you may have to make some investments that are going to take some time to pay it back. Um, but I always, when I'm contemplating equipment purchases, for instance, I'm always thinking about three things: does it is it going to improve my cash flow? That's very important that that we we see a bump in the cash flow. Number two, is it going to incre- increase my efficiency? And number three, is it good for the patients? Is it going to improve my patient care? If I have all three of those criteria met, it's a kind of a no-brainer. I'm like, okay, yeah. I think I can invest in this. If I'm only hitting two out of those three, I'm going to pause a little bit and really give some serious thought to this. Um, if it's good for patients, that's an easy one because all yeah. that great stuff at the exchange that we're going to see in Tampa in a few weeks is great stuff. And I'd love to have it all. But mm-hmm. I can't make a decision just on patient care. If it improves efficiency and improves patient care, it might indirectly improve my cash flow. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't do two of the three, if it only improves patient care but makes my cash flow worse and doesn't improve efficiency, I've got to really think hard about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And- Go ahead, Mick. So th- those are just when I'm thinking about should I buy that piece of equipment? Should I make that investment? I always try to use that acid test and try to make sure that it fits within those guidelines. And it's not it's not an exact science. You know, there are always going to be exceptions that we need to consider, but if you just step take a step back and think of it from that perspective, it just gives I think some real clarity uh, to your decision-making process and 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 makes it not in a, such an emotional decision. Because mm-hmm. you go down to that trade show floor and you have a couple glasses of wine. I mean, there's a reason they're serving booze in there, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. end up making emotional decisions because you you pull out your cell phone, you check your bank balance. You're like, hey, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm a yep. successful you're- businessman. I think I can afford to buy this thing. And, and instead of doing a, a really a detailed analysis of where it makes sense. Well, and then it, you know, again, it, it flips the idea of you of, of going to the exchange then flips. It's like, well, I got this this pile of cash is sitting here. It's ready to go. It's ready to be spent. And you can know, so the same thing, I'm going to go down to the exchange and, and be ready to, to purchase something, but you're going to do it with purpose as opposed to being reactionary. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it made me think of, um, there was a, I, I'm not a big Facebook guy. I, I'm, I'm trying to do better. Uh, <laughs> you know, he says, I know it's a great networking tool. Uh, but I occasionally will pop onto ODs on Facebook, and there was a there was a, mm-hmm. a, a um, comment that somebody made about uh, they had an opto map, and the question was, should I buy the service agreement for my opto map? And I think it was it was substantial; it was five thousand mm-hmm. dollars or something like that. And um, 
it, it just it was just fascinating to to watch the responses because hmm. every, almost every res- so there were two responses it was yes you should or no you shouldn't and then lots of arguments you know why you should why you shouldn't and um, I rarely ever respond but I said hey um, how about you do this how about you open up a bank account and you put a hundred dollars a month into your OptoMap service agreement account. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the year, if you didn't have to utilize any service repairs on your OptoMap, you've got 1200 bucks in that year uh, or in that account. After year two, you've got 2400 After year three, you got 3600 So essentially, you're self-insuring. Yep. And, and it's so common sense, um, but so many of us will just pull out the checkbook mm-hmm. Write a five thousand yeah. dollar check to to Optos for that service agreement because of fear. They're playing yeah. on fear that something's going to break down and you're not going to have the money to repair it. Well, if you've deliberately and intentionally set aside money just for that purpose, then you've you've eliminated a lot of the risks that you could otherwise be facing. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we've got a well. He was on actually um, on the podcast recently, Darren Wright. Uh, and he, um, he is a big advocate for that. You know, he, he, he talks about that all the time is that instead of, you know, when you purchase a piece of equipment, you've got a year to build up, you know, a little bit of, um, of your next year of service, uh, service agreement. And you you do exactly what you're talking about. And he, he sort of does the math and, you know, over, over like a four or five year period, if you spend this much money on this and this much money on that, it's like you could buy a brand new car or a brand new boat or, you know, whatever you wanted to buy. And I think you went through some of that. And so I, I guess we'll kind of bring that back to what you you made a comment before, actually quite a while back in our conversation, but about, um, you know, what does this look like if you can do profit first and Im- implement that into your business management style? What happens after a year in that practice when they really kind of take it up? Um, what What have you seen happen to these practices in a year? What kind of results are they looking at? So one of the beautiful things about this whole concept of profit first is that because it's behaviorally based, which means it it allows us to sort of continue to behave in the way that we have historically behaved, which is, you know, pull out our, our cell phones and look at our bank balance. It also creates structure. And what I find happens in most practices is that they don't have an income problem. They have an expense problem. Yep. And so what happens is when you start prioritizing profit, owner's compensation, and taxes over your operating expenses, you're setting aside less for operating your practice. And there's something called Parkinson's Law that says that we will – the demand for something is directly related to the amount that's available. And so mm-hmm. when we deliberately make less available to run our businesses, it causes two human behaviors. One is we become more frugal. We find a way um, to get, get by without it. Mm-hmm. We just end up spending less money. The second thing is we become more innovative. In other words, we find unique and creative ways to accomplish the same tasks that we would have never thought about had we not been forced to work within um, a little bit finer constraints. So the analogy is if you have $20 in your pocket, you're going to spend $20. Well, what if you only had $10 in your pocket? Well, Mm -hmm. you you would only spend $10. 
you because you wouldn't have the other 10 to spend. And so when we operate our businesses in this fashion by leaving less available to on the operation side, mm-hmm. it forces us to learn to live within our means. And when we live within our means, then we automatically just become a more efficient operation because we're putting a greater emphasis and a greater priority on the profitability, our own compensation, and then of course the tax liability that we're going to owe Uncle Sam. And and taking the spotlight off of, oh, I've got to pay the frame bill, I've got to pay the lens bill, I've got to pay the, you know, the rent, which all need to be paid. Yes. But we learn how to do that in um, a much more frugal way. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because what, you know, and it takes a while to kind of wrap your mind around. I was, you know, when I was listening to to you give give this talk, um, you know, it's like, all right, well, so everybody's got to still get paid, but I'm going to pay myself first. So how is that any different? And it, it's just because it shifts that priority. And actually, like Dave Ramsey says, you're, you know, you're you're doing it on paper on purpose. Right, it's basically budgeting. It's essentially a way of budgeting, uh, but you can't. You know, you start with your budget, and then when you're budgeting, you're separating into those separate accounts, and it's on purpose every single month that way. Yeah, let me let me kind of right. follow that up. When um when you when you've started being to give these business optometry business of optometry discussions. Um, cause you, you do some stuff inside vision source and also some stuff outside vision source as I do as well. Um, what percentage of people that like when you're at vision expo, for example, um, when you're to your audience, what percentage of people sort of like are already doing this pretty well and this is just reinforcing it versus how many people have no idea this even exists. And then how many people just push back on you? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I'll tell you, I've given this um, this this presentation and this concept to to well over a thousand ODs now, mm-hmm. and I will tell you, I have figured out that about ten percent in the room, it's an absolute game changer for them. Like yeah. literally, we've changed um, the trajectory of their practice, um, and and I know that because of the emails and the text messages that I get after an event. I also know that about 10% in the room think I'm absolutely insane. And <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's too complicated. It's never going to work for my practice. Um, there's There are always that group. And, and the reason I know that is because Vision Source surveys everybody that I present to on the Vision Source side. And um, they look at, and we, we look at the comments. Lori and I go through yeah. all the comments after our presentations. And and we ask the attendees to be very honest. And there's always, um, you know, 10% that think I'm absolutely crazy. And yeah. then about 80% are, I think, intrigued, but go back and do nothing. Boom. Yes. yes. That's, that, and that's been my, you know, that's been my experience as well is that, you know, I, uh, for a lot of years, I, those comments are always a challenge for me to look at because you can get, like you said, you can get 90% of people that give you a five, five out of a five. And then the, the, the couple people that give you a four or a three, you're just kind of like, oh, you know, you, you reflect on those. So I've learned ways to adapt to that. But that's why, that's why I think this idea of kind of moving your, your, your content over to some online resources as well is that, and that's what I found too, is that 80% in the middle 
they they sort of know there's something to be done, but they they don't know really how to go about it or they're not they're they're sold, right? They get it, but it's like it's like the work they're going to have to do to get to that point is actually more painful they think than the the current position that they're in. Don't you think that's the case? I do uh, 100% and 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 one of the things that I think um, really is a driver in that is how much pain they are in. So the yeah. ones that really, really uh, are struggling and are really feeling the pain and sort of have hit that rock bottom point are much more open mm-hmm. to, I'll do anything. Just tell me what to do to get out of this pain. And then there are a lot of, of our colleagues that really are, are, have uh, sort of not highly ambitious, um, individuals and they're kind of just content they're happy making what they're making and they're living in small town america and things are fine and this is kind of interesting but it seems like a lot of work and you know things are kind of okay and i think there are a lot of ods that that are just satisfied with with their profession and with their income level and it's really hard to get those guys to move but the ones on the on the extreme end that that really get it um, I think this is can be a game changer. I just had a uh, there was a gentleman uh, from Florida that attended one of my talks in New York last week, and he has a he, they're on they're on their way to about three and a half million in top line revenue, mm. and he's Mick. I'm I I, I there's no money. Mm. There's no money. Oh my gosh. And and you know my response is no no. There's plenty of money. Yep. There's plenty of money. We just need to make sure we're deliberate and we tell it where to go. Um, but he was in he was in panic um, to some degree of like, w- what do I do? And so that's a another example of no matter how big your practice is, you can find yep. yourself in there. When you get to that point where you're just so open to trying something different, then I think there's a huge opportunity. Um, the uh, not Dave Ramsey, but his counterpart. I'm drawing a blank on his name. The the gentleman with the real deep voice always says, um, "Money changes when people do." Hmm. And so, not, if you want your money to do something different, you have to do something different. Yeah, and it's really getting to that eighty percent, which is um, probably the harder part. But Chris, I will tell you, I am 100% content getting to that 10% that get it. So that's, yeah. So that's the, that's the next conversation. I know this is sort of like, I don't know if, you know, I, I'm really interested in this part is that, is that my experience kind of mirrors your experience is like my, you know, when I, when I do a discussion like this, I'm thinking, okay, well, I want to convince, I, I know I can convince that, that 10, 15% of people and um and and they're going to and I can motivate them to want to change but then i spend all this time kind of worrying about that 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 other 80% um so are are you just sort of resolved to say when they come around they're kind of going to come around um i mean what cuz you have a more experience at that i think from a leadership od standpoint is that you know um where where you weren't getting everybody, you know, you'd, you'd have these sort of intimate um, experiences where people could come in and focus on, on different topics. Um, and the ones that wanted your stuff wanted it. Uh, yeah. So kind of go down that path for me, if you would. Yeah. Uh, I think early on, I was a little bit more 
um, concerned about what people thought and I was concerned about resonating with everybody. And I was concerned that, you know, I wanted everybody to adopt this. And the more experience that I'm getting with the presentation, the more and the bet and the more results and the more positive reinforcement I'm getting about what I'm speaking about, the the less concerned I am about the masses understanding it and more about on a one-on-one individual basis. Am I getting to that one or two people in the room that really, really, uh, really need it? In, um, in, in, in economy, there's a, there's a concept called the diffusion of innovations theory. And it basically says that uh, about two and a half percent, anytime new, a new concept or a new technology comes in, uh, there about two and a half percent are innovators. And mm-hmm. then after those innovators, we have early adopters. Um, and then we have an early majority to the point where we hit a tipping point where then the late majority um, comes on board. And so we saw that in LASIK. If you remember, you know, we had, mm-hmm. had patients that, man, when LASIK came out, um, you know, we had people that are like, I don't care how much it costs. I don't care if I have to go to Canada. I want this done. Now we have even laggards that are like saying, well, I'm waiting for it to be perfected. Right. You know, right. And, so, and we've obviously had the tipping point in LASIK. So I'm, I'm getting to the innovators and the early adopters right now, and I'm becoming yeah. more and more satisfied. I do believe if I keep pushing, we will see a tipping point where it becomes um, the way to run the business. And, yeah. and, I, and I know this because this is, I'm seeing this, um, I'm a profit first professional, which means I have a certification to teach this concept. And I'm, I work with lots of CPAs and accountants and those CPAs and accountants have many, many coaching clients through many, many industries, not just I care, but thousands and thousands of different businesses. And I'm seeing this work uh, in all kinds of businesses uh, uh, across the U.S. And, uh, and that's continuing to reinforce the message for me. It's just like my focus is the early adopters and the innovators. I'm going to get to you guys first and I'll worry about the masses later. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we're, uh, that's, a, that's a great perspective for me to have because, you know, I think what you're doing um, and, and a lot of the stuff that I do, I think it's fundamental um, for, for private practices. Uh, well, anybody that owns a, a practice, but, but specifically private practices, you know, I, I think understanding in my, in my perspective, I think understanding the value of the services that we provide is fundamental. It's foundational to um, the application of the fullest extent of our scope of practice. So when I, when I think about it like that, I start thinking, because I think your stuff relates to that as well as the survival of private practice over time has to continue to evolve and get better and better and better. So they have to run their v- businesses better and better and better. It allows them bigger purchasing power. It allows them to be more savvy business people when, when different opportunities arise, all those sorts of things flow from that. And, uh, and so I, that's where I get stuck by saying, well, I gotta, I gotta convince these 80%, right? I, I can't just be satisfied with these, this group only because, um, I'm concerned about kind of the longevity of, of the profession down these other roads. But what you're saying is just let this first group come through. And as they, as they start to see, you know, as, as that kind of becomes bigger and bigger and a bigger wave, 
and pretty soon the other the other 80 will come once that tipping point occurs. That's interesting. That's helpful for me to hear. Well, and and what'll happen is those th- that those early adopters that really get your message, they become your voice. In right. other words, you the pressure is off of you to get to the other 80% because the the 10% that are really buying into what you are presenting will do the work for you. And then right. at some point you step back and and you let the wave just continue to go without you. And and I love that. Uh, there's a YouTube video that shows um, uh, it's, it's something like, what's the definition of a leader? And it's, it's that there's somebody behind the leader that's actually driving the movement. Mm. And so for us, we are the leaders of what we're presenting but when we get enough behind us, then they become the drivers of the movement and we just yeah. let that wave go without us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so Mick, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're, we're coming, actually we've had it uh, more than an hour discussion already and uh, we could, I know we could have many more hours and I hope that we'll, we'll have the opportunity to do this again, but for the listeners that um, kind of want to reach out to you and, and utilize your service, go ahead and um, kind of let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the best place to find me is at my website, impactod.com, I-M-P-A-C-T-O-D.com. And um, there's uh, all my contact information, uh, just a list of the services that I offer, and um, just a way to reach out. So love to uh, love to hear from, from anybody who has some thoughts. And um, I want to just say thank you for having me. What a great honor to be able to have this conversation with you. Man, it's been so much fun, Mick. I, I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last couple of years, and um, and I'm excited about where our friendship can go. So, thanks for being on. It, the honor's all, all, all uh, the pleasure's all mine. All right, thank you so much. 